Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit ChristchurchManchester.com. read to us ends with the most beautiful verse, doesn't it? It's a wonderful verse that says, we who with unveiled faces behold, that's uh, some translations say contemplate, some say behold the Lord's glory and we are being transformed into his likeness, into his glory. And Paul, who's writing this letter to one of the earliest churches, the church in Corinth, he's actually writing it at quite a difficult time in his life. If you read 2 Corinthians in the first couple of chapters, you see that this was a hard time for Paul. And in the next chapter, in chapter 4, he talks about weakness and us being like jars of clay and us knowing that God's power is at work through us. And he's writing all of this Basically, this, this part of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, within the context of a challenging time, but with this incredible promise, and this incredible hope, and this incredible calling, where he says, basically, if you get close to God, it's going to change you for the better. If you get close to God, if you see more of God's goodness, more of his character, more of who Jesus is, then it will bring change for the better in your life. And maybe you want this morning to see change in a situation in your family. Or maybe you want to see change in yourself, in a pattern of behavior or a way of thinking that is dragging you down at the moment. Maybe you long to see change in your community, wherever you're living in Manchester, Or maybe you're here this morning, and if you're really honest, you're like, actually, Laura, I've kind of stopped believing that change is really possible. Well, there's this promise here. As Paul's writing to this early church, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed. As we look at who he is, as we see more of what he's like, in our relationship with God, day by day and bit by bit, It doesn't just happen like that, does it? It's a gradual process. Then we will become more who we were always meant to be. So I know uh, Mike and Hannah Knight, who uh, lead the site here at Lady Barn. And I first met Hannah in 2010, when she was an undergrad student in Oxford, um, where we were in the same church in Oxford, and um, uh, got got to know Hannah. Wonderful to get to know her as a uh, when she was an undergrad, just slightly older than her. Um, and um, and we met in 2010. And uh, just a couple of years or so after I met Hannah, I met another student who was studying medicine. And uh, she had come along, she had some Christian friends, she hadn't been raised in a home that talked about Jesus, and she didn't have, uh, she, she was still trying to work out what she thought, really, about the Christian faith and about Jesus and the Bible. And we met and we chatted, and we made a plan, because she had loads of questions, that we'd meet weekly, and we'd look at one of the accounts that we have of Jesus' life in one of the Gospels. And so we, we did this together, and there was this one particular afternoon, we were sat in a coffee shop, it was actually a Costa coffee, in the city centre in Oxford. And uh, we'd just been looking at the moment in Luke's Gospel where some friends lower a man who's unable to walk through a roof, you may well know this story, and, and Jesus heals him, and Jesus also says your sins are forgiven. And in that moment, as the Holy Spirit opened this student's eyes to her need of the forgiveness of Jesus, to who Jesus was, that here is God in a person. She said to me, she was sat opposite me in the coffee shop, 
this is true. I believe this. I, I, I need Jesus. And so there and then, it was a wonderful moment. We prayed and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And uh, we were leaving the coffee shop. We were stood outside now a few moments later. And she turned to me and she asked what I thought was an absolutely fantastic question. She said, okay, Laura, now what? <laughs> there was this expectation. She'd only just become a Christian. She'd just given her life to God. But the, the extraordinary thing that had gone on in her life, moments before her question, that extraordinary thing that she had begun a relationship with the God of it all, the creator of the universe, the one who, knowed, uh, who, who knows her, who who had a plan for her life, the one who had saved her in Jesus Christ. That extraordinary thing had, had happened to her, that she understood that that was going to make a difference to her ordinary, everyday life. And so she was like, okay, so now what? And I think that that's in part what is going on here for Paul as he's writing this part of 2 Corinthians 3. It's this kind of so now what reality. Okay, we have all of this extraordinary promise and hope and salvation and the joy of knowing the Lord and that is going to make an impact in our ordinary lives, in our everyday lives as we're changed to become more like Jesus and that's what I want to talk about this morning, the extraordinary ordinary reality of knowing that ongoing transformation that is promised in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 John Stott who was an Anglican vicar theologian and wonderful preacher and Bible teacher. He gave his final ever sermon in the Lake District in um, Keswick. I was there actually not all that long ago. Uh, in the, it was 2007, the 17th of July. This was before his death in uh, 2011. John Stott must have preached thousands and thousands of sermons <laughs> to many, many people. And um, in this uh, final ever sermon, he began by talking about how in his early 20s as a Christian, he found himself preoccupied with this question. What's God's purpose for the people of God? What's his purpose? Like, What's his vision, his plan, his strategy? And so John Stott was saying that this had shaped so much of his prayer in his early 20s. And I kind of like to imagine that it, it was something that really preoccupied his thinking. And then this is what he said in that final sermon in 2007. I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is this. God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. I have loved that ever since I heard it. Kind of cutting against perhaps any of our grand designs for strategy or vision. Not that the Lord can't use those things. But actually, at the end of the day, what's God's purpose for your life and for my life? It's, it's almost wonderfully simple. And yet gloriously, gloriously, this high calling that we will become like Jesus. How beautiful that our Father's design for our lives would be that we would reflect something of the love of the justice, of the mercy, of the kindness, of the generosity, of the goodness of the Son, the Lord Jesus. And so that's what Paul is getting at here in this passage. And so I want to ask um, this morning that question, what does that look like? If this is the promise here of 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're going to be transformed in our everyday ordinary existence by this extraordinary reality of, of beholding Jesus and becoming like him, how do we do that? What does it look like? What do we need to know? 
And so firstly, in our passage, we see that in our ordinary, everyday lives, as we take a hold of that core vocation to become like Jesus, what do we have? Well, we have with us the extraordinary presence of God. We have God's extraordinary presence in our daily lives, in our ordinary lives, leading us, guiding us, comforting us. And so Paul wants the church here in Corinth to understand what they have in God, the significance of the work of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so he starts, have a look with me at the text. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. He's reminding them before he says that we're to become like Jesus, that we have this hope. Look at all that you have in what Jesus has done. You see, this side of the death of Jesus for sin, of the resurrection of Jesus, defeating death, of Jesus, of the um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We're living this side of those things, of those wonderful things that have happened within human history. And so Paul is writing to this early church saying, you're living in the light. That's the hope. That's the boldness that you can have because you come as people who know what God has done for you in Christ. And so he writes in verse 12, we have this hope where people who can, verse 16, turn to the Lord, standing with the confidence and the truth and the assurance of all that we have in the gospel, of all that we have. You know, we've come here this morning, perhaps carrying all sorts of worries or concerns or or longing, as I mentioned at the beginning, for that change. But we come here this morning, even with those things, at the same time as those who can be absolutely confident of the love of God for us because of what he's done through Lord Jesus. We come as those this morning who can come boldly. We can sing, we can worship because we know that there is no longer anything separating us from the love of God because of all that Jesus has done for us. We come as those this morning who know the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, transforming us and changing us. And so Paul writes in this letter, we have hope, we come bold, not like Moses. So he's thinking, and we'll get to this in a minute, this little reference to Moses. He's thinking back to the Old Testament. We put a veil over his face. This is verse 13, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was passing and being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You see, we are those who, trusting in Jesus, who, relying upon the presence of God, his extraordinary presence by his Spirit in our lives, were those who, it's like we can see clearly, the veil is gone. Were those who have this revelation of the Holy Spirit, Revealing in our minds, verse 14, in our hearts, verse 15, we come as those, verse 16 here, where the veil's removed and we can see who Jesus is. We see what he's done for us. We can get to know the character and the goodness of God more fully. And we see that Jesus is the one who is promised in the Old Testament, the one who all that Old Covenant mentioned here, all the Old Testament is pointing to. And so, seeing those things, we can come boldly. We can come with confidence. We can come with that courage to live the lives that God has called us to, aware of his presence with us. When Jesus is talking to his followers in John's Gospel, he says, Without me, you can't live the life that you've been made for. But we have his presence by his Holy Spirit with us. 
We are those who can see the work that God has done in Christ. And so Paul mentions Moses. Um, this is a little reference to a moment in the Old Testament in Exodus chapters 33 and 34, where Moses goes to God and says, God, show me your glory. I want to see all your splendor. I want to see what you're like. And God says, okay, <laughs> but... My glory is so all-consuming and so majestic and so wonderful that in order for me to pass by with my glory, you're going to have to hide yourself in a rock. And so that's what happened. And Moses is sheltered by this rock, and then the glory of God passes by. Wow, what an incredible moment. And then Moses comes down the mountain, and his face is like radiant. His face is reflecting something of the glory of God. And the Israelites say to him, uh, well, he covers his face I find it really interesting, actually, the text tells us that it's the Israelites that tell him that his face is radiant. You know, often the most holy people are the most humble. Um, and so and Moses comes down and he covers his face, perhaps because he doesn't want to freak the Israelites out. <laughs> but the text tells us here in 2 Corinthians, uh, in verse 13, have a look, that it says that he didn't want the Israelites to see what was passing, to see what was fading. You see, it's only Moses here who gets to experience the glory, not all the Israelites. And it's just a flavor of the glory of God. And it's a fading glory. But Paul sets all that up here in 2 Corinthians. He reminds all of that to say to the church in Corinth and to say to us today that we have Jesus. He's the rock in which we are safe. And with the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost, we can know the closeness of God. We can live in the power of his presence. And it's not a fading glory now. It's going from glory to glory. As bit by bit and day by day we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And before working in church ministry, I was a secondary school English teacher. This is in my early 20s. And one afternoon, I went into the office of someone in the school who had uh, like chaplain responsibilities in the school. And I went to him, and I wanted to tell him how hard it was to be a Christian in the school, how difficult, how much time pressure there was, how the atmosphere was really tricky, how it was a really hard place to be a Christian, and I needed him to know that. <laughs> he and many others on staff had been in that school for many years following Jesus, but here I was saying it was really, really difficult. And then he looked at me, you know one of those looks someone gives you where you know they're about to say something to you that's um, both really kind and really challenging? And he sort of looked at me like that and he said to me, Laura, do you think that you're really allowing yourself to be a Christian in this place? For a brief moment I was like, I'm, I'm not even sure that that's very good theology. Uh, and you're supposed to be an RE teacher. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was kind of... Uh, he, he, he touched on something in my life, really. I, I thought for a moment how I'd not really that week spent much time reading the Bible. How I'd been so busy with all of the concerns of my day that I hadn't really paused to pray. How I had been going along to church on Sunday, but I'd been rushing away and not chatting with people because I needed to plan lessons and get things ready. I hadn't stopped loving Jesus for a single second but many seconds of my day were being lived without the enjoyment of the reality of his extraordinary presence in my life. And so I made some changes. I got into my classroom a bit earlier and I prayed before the start of the day. 
I made sure that I was reading the Bible regularly. I asked God for opportunities to share my faith in Jesus with other colleagues. I wonder, are you making space to enjoy the privilege and blessing it is to be those who come unveiled, to be those who see all Jesus has done, to be those who enjoy the reality of his presence in your life? Where will you be tomorrow? Where will you be this week? Could you enjoy more fully that wonderful reality of God's extraordinary presence with you in your ordinary life? And so we have, firstly then, this extraordinary presence. Because of all Jesus has done for us, through his death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. And then we have this extraordinary power mentioned. So in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some people finishing off that verse there because you know it. You see, the Holy Spirit brings freedom. The Holy Spirit brings true freedom and wholeness to our lives. His power at work in our lives will enable us to walk in the ways of God, to obey God's commands. And that is true freedom. To be those who know uh, that freedom from sin, that, that freedom from shame. That's how uh, our holiness is formed. You know, in a million small choices that we make every day to enjoy the freedom that the Holy Spirit brings us. And the Bible maps out for us in lots of different places what a life marked by that kind of power and freedom of the Holy Spirit Sometimes we really feel this and we're really aware of it, but oftentimes it is just that kind of everyday, small choices, bit by bit of faithful discipleship, walking with Jesus. And one of the places where the, the Bible paints a picture of a life that's marked by the Spirit, a life that's lived in the power of the Spirit, a life that enjoys this freedom that Paul speaks of here, is in Galatians 5. Maybe have a quick flick there if you've got your Bible. This was another letter written by Paul, the same writer of 2 Corinthians. Um, he wrote this most likely before he wrote 2 Corinthians. And he says here, you may well know this passage of scripture well. He says in verse 16 of Galatians 5, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. 25, keep in step with the Spirit. He's really like making a point there, driving it home. Uh, and he says, what does a life look like? What is a life that's living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit look like? Well, he doesn't leave us guessing. He spells it out for us. A life like that is marked by these things. Love. This is verse 22 of Galatians 5. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. And self-control. A life becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus. And then in contrast to that, just before those verses, in verses 19 to 21, Paul lists patterns of behaviour that are not enjoying the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, it's quite a list, buckle your seatbelts, here we go. Verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, he's still going, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And then he says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So hold on, is he asking here for perfection? Well, no, because we'd all be in trouble. We're all a work in progress. 
Um, and that sense of us being a work in progress, bit by bit, bit by bit, is, is there in 2 Corinthians 18, from glory to glory, an ongoing transformation. No, it's not perfection that the Lord is after, but it's open hearts. Those who cling to Jesus, those who desire and are, are on that trajectory of seeking that change, not in our own strength, but in his. Knowing, knowing that we come this morning as those who need the Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. He's after honesty as well. Honesty about where we're at. Honesty about our heart's desire to be more transformed into a life that looks like Jesus. And so I wonder, for you, who are the people in your life, who are those who are around you at the moment, who will help you in this purpose of God for you to become more like Jesus? Those who perhaps as the New Testament calls us to do, we can confess our sins to, those who we can pray with regularly, people that we can share with, not sitting in our guilt and shame, that's not the boldness that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians, we're not to carry that around, but to come confidently knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're invited into freedom. And so I wonder as that list is read, and maybe have a, have a read of it, that list of the fruit of the Spirit, being led in the power of the Spirit. What things come to mind for you? What would that look like in a life? Well, this would be where the Spirit of the Lord is at, where we choose, verse 22, to love the person at work that we find most difficult. I'm sure there's no one that comes to mind. <laughs> well, maybe we start to pray for them, even. Or we start to talk to them at lunchtime. That's where the Spirit of the Lord is. Where's the spirit of the Lord? Well, when we exercise any power that we have over people or situations or responsibility that we have, not with force, but with gentleness. With a love for them that will draw out the best. Where's the spirit of the Lord? Well, in that everyday choice to be generous. Maybe radically generous with our finances. Where's the spirit of the Lord? Well, in that moment where we walk away from a compromising situation, where we choose to exercise self-control, where we perhaps turn off what's on the screen, or where we seek prayer, where we get help, where we come close to the Lord, where we're transformed. And then by contrast, that verse 19 of Galatians 5, that fit of rage last week, that was not where the Spirit of the Lord was. That was not enjoying the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit, or that selfish ambition. Perhaps when we put our best foot forward, or we're, we're too driven, or we kind of squash on other people in order to make it ahead. That's not where the spirit of the Lord is. Or that, that pattern of sexual immorality in our lives that's not in line with the Bible's teaching, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. Or that moment where we cc someone into an email in a slightly passive-aggressive way, that's not where the spirit of the Lord is. Or that pattern perhaps we have of picking a fight with someone. Or having to be the one who is always right. What verse 20 of Galatians 5 calls these dissensions and factions. That's not enjoying the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I wonder, in what ways and how do you need to be someone afresh today who walks in step with the Spirit? Who knows his power? Not necessarily dramatically, but bit by bit. But possibly dramatically. Possibly even this morning, there's something going through your mind and you need to give it to God, knowing that you're forgiven in Jesus, knowing that there's a new start ahead for you. So we have extraordinary presence of God with us 
the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit, and then moving through 2 Corinthians to the end of that passage that was read to us earlier by Josh, we finally, and this is the third and final point, we have this extraordinary purpose that I mentioned, this thing that John Stock called that we would become more like Christ. And so we read in verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so how is it that we're changed then? How is it that we're transformed? Is it just by trying harder? Is it by striving more? Is it by feeling really awful and terrible? No. How are we changed? Well, we're told here by Paul that we behold Jesus. How are we transformed? How do we become more like Christ? We behold Jesus. We look at who he is. We contemplate him. We see him afresh. Because you see, we become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. What are you looking at this morning? Look afresh at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. How beautiful he is. How kind he is. How wonderful he is. What a saviour he is. What a lord he is. How majestic he is. And so this morning, if we're wanting that transformation, if we're wanting to live within that purpose that God has for us, that vocation, it's not about just like pulling up our bootstraps and trying harder or, or, or really striving. No, it's this simple instruction here from Paul in 2 Corinthians 3. Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus afresh. And as we, a bit like a mirror, as we behold Jesus, something about our reflection, who we're becoming, we reflect more deeply and fully who Jesus is. You see, holiness isn't about trying harder in and of itself, or legalistically following rules just for the sake of it. No, the way to holiness, the way to that purpose, is to look more deeply at Jesus. You see, Jesus is issue with the Pharisees. You know those religious leaders that in the, in the gospel accounts Jesus often has an issue with? Well, his issue with the Pharisees wasn't that they were keeping all the Old Testament laws rigorously. No, they were laws given by God. Yes, for a time, but given by God. Um, they were the laws that Jesus came to fulfill. No, Jesus' problem with the Pharisees is that they're doing it all without connection with him. All without beholding him for who he really is. With veiled faces, not unveiled faces. They're not seeing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises in the Old Testament. And so Paul says here in verse 18 that we are to be those who behold Jesus. We see him afresh. And as we do, we will see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, really, me? (laughs) One degree of glory? to another. But I I sometimes think that it can feel like the closer we get to Jesus in our lives, the more aware we are we need to change. But you know, that's because the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and our lives, perhaps drawing our attention to something while we're grieving the Spirit, perhaps inviting us into a greater freedom and fullness of life. And so don't resist that. Don't pull away. Draw closer to Jesus today. Behold him. You know, it's a bit like learning to dance. Now, maybe some of you think that sounds terrible. (laughs) Maybe the thought of learning to dance is not a thought that fills you with much joy. But it's like in this dance, you have the very best 
partner. The very best partner in the world. And, and one day, in the newly created world, in the new creation that we are waiting for, you'll dance in perfection with this partner. You will. You will be fully transformed into the complete likeness of Jesus. But here and now, you know, sometimes learning the steps is a bit, is a bit tricky and a bit wobbly. And we go off kind of kilter a bit here and there. But as we fix our gaze on the one who is leading us in this dance, as we look at him, as we behold his goodness, as we see more fully who he is, then bit by bit we learn to mirror his steps and to copy the pattern that he lays out for us. I want to finish um, with a little story about a time when we were living in Worcester, which is before we... So we've had like two stints in Oxford and in the middle, like a bit like a sandwich. Uh, in the middle of the two either side bits of Oxford, we were in Worcester for seven years. And, and at the beginning of our time in Worcester, for those first few years, we had three kids <coughs> under the age of three and a half. Um, it was a fun time, <laughs> a busy time. Our house was um, around the corner from a street called Orchard Street. And I walked this street a lot, uh, taking our kids, because they're preschoolers at the end of it. I remember this one particular uh, lunchtime. So I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old, a, a two-year-old, and a newborn baby. I'm just doing a lunchtime pickup from preschool of our three-and-a-half-year-old, and I was kind of new to this whole routine. And I'm now walking down Orchard Street, and I'm pushing in the, the double buggy, a screaming, hungry newborn baby. And under my arm, I've got our two-year-old son, who, like a little rugby ball, uh, who was refusing to sit in the double buggy. And all the while, our three-and-a-half-year-old daughter is here, saying to me that I had to be really careful not to drop the hedgehog creation that she had just made out of Play-Doh. And so I'm walking down the street. Um, it, it, it was uh, quite an intense season of life. But you know, in its own way, Orchard Street was verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 fleshed out in the ordinary, that I was being transformed from glory to glory. It didn't look very shiny. <laughs> it was often a walk that made me stressed, that highlighted more of my lack of the fruit of the Spirit than I would have liked. But walking Orchard Street, I knew I had to dig deep. I knew I had to pray without ceasing. I knew that if I drew close in the ordinary to Jesus, I would experience his extraordinary presence and power. What it struck, it struck me the other day as well that that street is even named after a place where fruit grows, Orchard Street. You know, done to his glory, holiness, and becoming like Jesus is the caring, the cooking, the cleaning. Holiness can be the way that you lead the board meeting at work or your budget planning or how you wouldn't actually sign that document because it didn't seem the right thing to do. Holiness can be the way you line manage Holiness can be the way you respond to your line manager. Holiness can be your research, becoming more like Jesus in the conversations you have around the dinner table. And so I wonder this morning, will you receive afresh this beautiful purpose that God has for your life, that you would become more like Jesus? Perhaps you're here and it seems like verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 is a million miles away from how life looks right now. And it's hard. Your life maybe is marked by suffering. Actually, Jesus' death is even referred to as his glory. Often in those hard times, we are formed. In those orchard streets. I wonder, where's your orchard street? That place 
where you're being formed, where you're being transformed. Maybe you're stuck in habits and you wonder, will I ever change? Ask the Holy Spirit for a deeper sense of his help, his power, his presence, so that you can live in that glorious purpose to become like Jesus until we get to see him face to face and enjoy the fullness of that dance as it were, with him and with one another for all eternities. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.